0: Very Bad Wizards is a podcast with a philosopher, my dad, and psychologist
1: Dave Pizarro, having an informal discussion about issues in science and ethics. Please note that the discussion contains bad words that I'm not allowed to say, and knowing my dad, some very inappropriate jokes.
0: Now the fun begins. (laughs) The ladies! Very
1: bad Welcome to Very Bad Wizards. I'm Tamler Summers from the University of Houston. Dave, do you believe in long, slow, deep, soft, wet kisses the last three days?
0: Now, now I'm just curious about what defines a unit of kiss because... If that means that that to be called one kiss, it means that your lips can never move apart, which is my naive definition of kiss, then absolutely not. Can you imagine the breath? That you would have at the end of that th- three day period, you'd be very thirsty, there'd be lack of sleep. So, I'm going to come up with a set of necessary and con- sufficient conditions for what I mean. In, in what right sense now. could that be something that you believe in? I, I'm David Pizarro from Cornell University. I think that believing in that is like sort of a, I, like I believe that it is possible in some crazy contest where <laughs> you win a car at the end. You know, like the, like in the. I feel like in the '80s, it was just a very popular thing to do to like have people do things for a really, really long period of time, um, and then whoever held out the longest won some crappy card. Um, so, why are you asking me this question? I, is is this a proposition of sort? I feel like I need to, to be. I need to pre approve <laughs> movie quotes so that <laughs> you don't play half of boulderum, which nobody knows what it is. Anyway. That's not
1: true. I mean, I, I guarantee that eighty percent do- of our audience has, knows what Bull Durham is and has seen the movie. Oh my God, you're so miscalibrated! Uh, no, no, no. You're so
0: miscalibrated. It just alone, any movie from that period of time, we've already yeah, lost 50% Everyone's seen of the Bull Durham. Audience. Come on! No, no, no. And then, then you get the sports group of the audience. You you need this no, overlapping. No, no. So it, it was sports no, it people, eighties like people, movie,
1: chick flick, rom com. <laughs>
0: uh, you know what I'm going to do at some point is I'm going to put together a listener survey for no no you know not real science no experiment or anything but just a set of questions that have come up throughout the show. Uh, we'll get basic demographics and just shit like have you ever had you ever have you ever even heard of Boulder? Thirty <laughs> eight percent.
1: First of all. I foresee you making up results. You're going to call the survey You'll company have, yeah, and ask your, if your response if would, worked would be with. way too high to be plausible. <laughs> I foresee myself doing a follow up study that exposes your fraud. Give a,
0: give a philosopher just a little bit and they think they know everything. You wouldn't know fake data, but, but I don't know. But anyway. So you're going to come back to this question? Is that what you're saying?
1: This I'm not going to come back either. to this particular question, but that is, yes, I think I'm going to play a clip that has that question in it that all of our listeners, or at least the vast majority of them, will recognize. You know, this is what happens when you have a gimmick, but you don't. Have the prepara- <laughs> sufficient preparation for that <laughs> particular gimmick uh, and hopefully that's not going to be true of this whole episode um, but today we're going to be talking about something that might sound broad, but I think this is part of the problem uh, we're going to be talking about objectivity, what it means you know when we say something is objectively true or there's a fact of the matter or um you know that this this sphere of inquiry is objective this sphere of inquiry is subjective what are we actually saying what are we what are we talking about when we do that so that's in in the second segment that's that's the plan
0: I know. I feel like, wait, this shouldn't we have had a real philosopher on? I don't even know if we need an epistemologist or a
1: metaphysician, but something that we're you not. You said that when I was on partially examined life, I sounded like a real philosopher.
0: Yeah, but you never sound no. like
1: here. <laughs> you know, this like is my you, safe space.
0: It's like you put on your secret identity.
1: <laughs> you put on some tight underwear with a logo. Wait, so which one's my secret identity, and which one's the? I, I know. I think that's. I think it's when I'm. Uh, When I'm sounding like a philosopher, that's my secret identity. That's not who I really am. Um, Before we get to that, let's... I feel like almost an obligation to talk about this whole mess, this clusterfuck that's gone on with Laura Kipnis, who is a professor at Northwestern who had a Title IX suit filed against her, and that sent philosophy blogs and the just blogs in general any blog that pays attention to academia and higher education into a tizzy into a full blown tizzy and i think part of the reason that it that it, that everybody went into a tizzy is because it sort of hits on a number of events that have occurred recently that 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 pit two opposing sides one the hypersensitive um, looking to be offended identity politics radical left uh, on one side and on the other side people who are standing up for academic freedom and free speech and freedom of expression and being able to express controversial ideas in the academy in the classroom in the universities i don't know i i want to i want your take on it
0: Okay, dear listeners, so <laughs> we, we gave a good-hearted attempt, a good-faith attempt to discuss um, the recent controversy, and it didn't go well. I mean, I think that this conversation made the, the growing up with boys, boys and girls toys like look like the, the best, <laughs> the most civil conversation we've
1: ever had. So, Here, here's, just a, here's just a little clip. Here's an excerpt <laughs> of what happened during this conversation. Tamler, you're full
0: of shit. You're taking the word in principle and all of a sudden mounting it as a no.
1: I feel like you're being deliberately difficult about this. I'm not being deliberately difficult. You're being deliberately dense. You're talking to a handful I of promoters. that fucking statement. Jesus fucking Christ. What is wrong with you?
0: The fuck is wrong with you? If you can't, if you can accuse people of not using stats and then you go and say shit like I that and then when I call you on it, you throw a fucking hissy fit. That was such it. a minimal part Dude. of the statement. Okay, that's not fucking misrepresentation. I'm, I was repeating what you said. Don't accuse me of misrepresenting no, what you I, said when that's what you said. Th- because it it's just not the fucking top was the, the fuck, conversation. Dude, what the fuck? Thing. That was your idea. It was your fucking well, idea to talk about it. That was
1: mistake. That's <laughs> <for sure. laughs> Oh, I, fuck. I, I'm telling you what it came across oh, as. I'm not that guy. I'm not state. that I'm not being guy.
0: Honest. It came across as like, that.
1: And I was pissed. All right. I'm sorry, Dave. I, I, I apologize for my role in this. I.
0: So, in in my defense, it was Talon's ta- ta- <laughs> fault. <It was my, laughs> I,
1: I, I obviously disagree with that. But what I will say is that the reason we're not making you suffer through it is, you know, one of my whole points. I thought it was my main point was that everybody's making a huge fuss and being melodramatic and hysterical over over something that really doesn't merit all that drama and then we ended up being way more way more dramatic than uh, yeah than even HuffPo oh, um, or Vox or- and,
0: and, and I think we both agreed on that there's much too much made uh, of this that this was a lot of trolling behavior on the part of the original author on the part of people who replied to her so we're not going to feed the trolls
1: let's take a break and then we'll be right back for her for, uh, to talk about objectivity
0: Welcome back to Very Bad Wizards. Before we get to our discussion of objectivity, we did want to take a moment to thank you guys uh, for all the emails, tweets, Facebook comments, donations, and the support that you've given us via Amazon. I, I think that both Tamler and I agree. It's one thing that we we really enjoy is that's in the past, what, two and a half, three years, 69 episodes, um, we've seen a real community of you guys build up um, and I, I have to say, seeing pictures of you guys wearing your Very Bad Wizards t-shirts really makes uh, makes my day and I think Tamler's yeah, day as well. Absolutely. Um, so so do keep them coming. If, if anyone spots one in the wild, especially, take a, take a picture. You can email us at verybadwizards at gmail.com. Uh, tweet us at verybadwizards or at peas and at Tamler. And you can visit our webpage, verybadwizards.com. You can see all our previous episodes. Um, And if you go to verybadwizards.com slash support, you'll find how to support us. There's a a PayPal donation button and there's also an Amazon.com link. If you click on that and do your shopping through there, um, you don't pay any more, but some small piece of what you pay. by will actually go to us, and that will help us keep the lights on and pay for the bandwidth that we're still paying for from the Sam Harris episode. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, it's a blessing and a curse. So, uh, so thank, thanks uh, for all the support, and keep the emails coming. We don't answer them all, but we do read them all,
1: and all of the tweets, so we appreciate it. Before we get to the discussion, let's. Uh, on the last episode, we closed with a disagreement over how to interpret... Uh, uh, a a listener on our facebook page his comment we both interpreted it through lenses that were unsurprisingly favorable to ourselves so he sent us an email to clarify right the ambiguity was
0: was about whether his comment was actually meaning to say um well at least let's keep the movie to star trek ratio going at three to one that was the gist of it and so i interpreted as saying see he's pointing out the inherent unfairness that tamler gets to pick three movies and i only get one star trek episode and tamler was saying no this is great man keep it at three to one no i I,
1: he was just saying this is awesome you guys are talking about movies and you're talking about star trek now he sent us an email to to clarify we we requested that on the last episode again josh josh yes uh, so, here's the, the email. So, I see why my comment was read ambiguously. So, here's what I thought. The movie episodes are usually my favorite episodes. Uh, <laughs> the movie episodes are its favorite episodes. So, I was very excited to see Star Trek finally being discussed. Yeah. I also knew I was going to want more because I know there's a lot of really good Star Trek episodes that could be great for the podcast. However... I also figured that there's no way Tamler would agree to do more Trek on a regular basis without getting something in return, so I suggested the movie trade, especially because it seems that Dave finds the movie episodes less offensive than Tamler finds Star Trek. Basically, I suggest to get more Star Trek, there's a lot more Chachma out there. <laughs> Great use of Chachma, by the way. Um, not totally accurate in terms of the meaning of Chachma, but anytime time you use Chachma is a good thing. Is that a Klingon word? <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's That means testicles in uh, Nausicaan. <laughs>
0: you know... I I think think there's about enough to support my view and enough to support your view.
1: Uh, Yeah, I'm actually more confused by that email than I was before. (laughs) The thing is that he likes Star Trek and he likes the movie episodes. That's right. And if you have any suggestions for episodes or for uh, movies and anything, just just email us.
0: After 12 years in the minor leagues, I don't try out. Besides, uh, I don't believe in quantum physics when it comes to matters of the heart.
1: What do you believe in then?
0: Well, I believe in the soul. The cock, the pussy, the small of a woman's back. The Hanging Curveball, High Fiber, Good Scotch, but the novels of Susan Sontag are self-indulgent, overrated crap. I believe Lee Harvey Oswald acted alone. I believe there ought to be a constitutional amendment outlawing AstroTurf and the designated hitter. I believe in the sweet spot, softcore pornography, opening your presents Christmas morning rather than Christmas Eve, and I believe in long, slow, deep, soft, wet kisses that last three days.
1: Now, in the past, I have gently, lovingly, with affection, mocked philosophers when they obsess over the tiniest distinctions uh, about meaning or when they try to come up with precise systematic theories for concepts like table or knowledge or whatever. But even I would admit That it's helpful to have a reasonably clear sense of a concept's meaning, or else we risk talking past each other, using the same word to mean different things, or just as in the previous segment, just shouting obscenities at each other. (laughs) One concept that I actually really do think could use a little more clarification is the concept of objectivity. I thought about doing this as a topic after, I think it was episode 64 on Susan Wolf. And meaningfulness. And she has one of her criteria for a meaningful activity was that the activity had objective worth. But she takes pains to emphasize that she has in mind a kind of soft objectivity. That's what she said. And I kind of know what she means by soft objectivity, but I'm not completely sure. And the fact is, we've asked a few times on the podcast whether ethics is objective, whether there are objective values, whether assignments of moral responsibility can be objective. We've said that logic is objective. Science is objective. I think that the TV show The Wire is objectively a better TV show than like, I don't know, Simon and Simon or Chips. Chips. Uh, he's, he's so old. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you, you watched both those shows. Uh, we say these things, right, about objective, but I'm not exactly sure what exactly we're saying. So the clip leading into this was uh, Crash Davis t- telling, telling us, but mostly, I guess, Susan Sarandon, all the things that he believed in the movie Bull Durham. So take his belief that there ought to be a constitutional amendment Outlawing AstroTurf and the designated hitter. Now, if I ask whether that belief is objectively true, I can think of at least seven or eight ways of interpreting that question. Number one, would the belief be true even if Crash Davis didn't think it was true? Number two, would the belief be true if Davis or anybody else didn't think it was? Uh, number three, is the belief true according to a widely or universally accepted set of standards or criteria? probably not. Number four, would Davis have that belief after being informed of all the relevant empirical facts? Five, would everyone have that belief after being informed of all the relevant empirical facts? Six, would the belief be true even if there were no human beings on earth? Seven, is there widespread or universal agreement among experts that the belief is true? And A, does the belief correspond to some sort of metaphysical property out there in the world? All those things you could be asking when you ask whether belief X, you know, is objectively true or not. And there's many more that I could come up with as well. You're the scientist. Science is supposed to be objective. What do you mean when you say that something is objective or objectively true? Well, one thing is I think you're objectively a bad uh, out loud
0: reader. But it is about uh, what the nature of the claim is. So for scientists, I think that the question of objectively true is often wrapped up in the question of realism. That is, we think that something is uh, a scientific claim is true if, in fact, it is pointing to something that is sort of mind, completely mind independent. Right So water is H2O is a fact, and it would be a fact if every human being died, you know from here on out, um, and in fact, if there were no sentient beings. So I think that's what in science I, I don't think that most scientists give much thought to this, but I think that there is a level of naive realism that scientific claims are taken to be objectively true. That is, if everybody had the right equipment, they would
1: agree on the truth of it, and that it is pointing to something that is mind-independent. By the right equipment, you mean that they had sufficient expertise in the domain that they're of the scientific claim were. Or... Yeah, right, exactly. So, And so... even when they disagree, like, are there black holes and there's, you know, reasonable people on both sides, they would still both agree that there is some sort of fact of the matter there, even if they're right. not going to find out what it is.
0: Right. And science depends on there being these facts that, that um, would... Be available to anybody, you know, regardless of time, background, or whatever, who was sufficiently capable of understanding. This is what, for instance, replicability stands on. It's like, well, in order to get to the truth, right, the objective facts, we gotta, we gotta actually make sure that i try it and you try it and we all get the same thing if it weren't objective it was a matter of subjectivity then then we would just never have science
1: now and, there are certainly people who question that kind of yeah. scientific realism in particular claims that are theory dependent because anytime a accepting the truth of a claim requires that you accept the truth of a theory it's possible and this was you know Thomas Kuhn's point that would be a good just to do the structure of scientific revolutions that you know you could have maybe incommensurable theories you know it, it depends which framework you're looking through whether you think a certain claim is true or not and in one framework it would be false in another framework it would be true scientists you know this is why I always I always say sort of like philosophers of science
0: probably wouldn't make for good scientists and scientists probably shouldn't expose themselves to too much philosophy of science because they're right. <laughs> when you think about it too much you start really really doubting what it is you're doing and I think scientists just want like to, to say no look like we look we saw an electron you know yay electrons are real
1: but let's um, just—I I think we should table that table and maybe that. Yeah. talk about values and yeah. what we mean when we say that you know uh, that that certain things really are wrong,
0: right? Uh, well, certain and I things even...
1: really are objectively whether people—you know—people will say that about female circumcision, people will say it about aesthetic claims, people will make even taste claims.
0: Yeah, and I want to actually introduce another category of things that we might say have uh, could be objective but but that don't require realism because i want i want to table the question of realism because i do think that that it's it we can have a discussion of objectivity without realism so there are things that are facts that are objective facts that i think many people would agree are objective facts but that are still somehow dependent on a set of people agreeing about them so uh I take it there's a way in which we use the term objective where we say, you know, how many strikes before you're out in base three, right? So it is a fact that three strikes means you're out. Now it's not a fact in the sense that there is like a platonic cave where you know there's a you know three X's floating around that something. You know. it is not. It's not. There's no claim that there is a thing called a strike that exists. Um, and that three of them mean out. It is just a claim that that is a fact. Like if you and if you went into a baseball game and you wanted another pitch, because <laughs> you were like, no, I, you know, where I come from, four strikes means you're out. They would be like, well, you're just wrong, buddy. Like go. Um, and so you can have things that are objectively true.
1: Um, that just because there there's agreed upon set of rules. And 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 what you're talking about is with regard to those rules. Now, there's plenty of things, even within baseball, that you sort of wonder, look, there wasn't an infield fly rule forever. And then there was, you know, so there was that sort of limbo period where you ask whether we should have that or not. And at that point, the question isn't that clear cut. It still isn't subjective. Um, Because,
0: you know, I like the language that Alex was giving me, which is, look, look, it's the rules of baseball are mind dependent. That is, there still are people who just decided these arbitrarily. um, But it has to be a specific set of people that decided. That is, we couldn't just take a poll and then say, hey, it turns out that, like, you know, 90 percent of Americans believe four strikes means you're out. They're wrong. There are even things in science where you might think this. this. My my old uh, uh, buddy... Who's a normative ethicist at
1: Oberlin, actually? Um, he <laughs> He's a libertarian.
0: Tim, if you, Tim if Hall. If you
1: listened to our <laughs> The Lost segment, that uh,
0: Tim Hall, I remember he gave me this example to teach me sort of about what, what objective meant for him. He said, you know, how many continents are there? Right. So I, I don't know what, it's like seven. <laughs> I, t- I take it. And you're saying that's, it's objectively true that there are that many continents. And I was caught up in, but wait, but. It's continents aren't a natural kind. It's not as if it's obvious where one landmass begins and one doesn't. Central America, part of South America or North America. But it is objective in the sense that geographers have a set of criteria and they apply those and they say that there are seven continents. You know, we you can still know that they could get together like the planet Pluto.
1: Right. It's a fact that Pluto is no longer.
0: And uh, it's not arbitrary. But, no, it's
1: not arbitrary, right. but it's also not like they could have decided it was a planet, too, by just loosening the definition of what a planet is. Right. Exactly. So
0: now I ask you, where before we move on to morals, where does the aesthetic part lie? Is there a way in which you think that um, that aesthetics are more like, say, three strikes in baseball or is it more like I like this ice cream flavor?
1: I mean, one of the things that I think is a very helpful way of thinking about value objectivity is what people would think if they were if they had you know, expertise is a loaded word. I don't want to say expertise, right. but relevant exposure to the 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 domain that we're talking about. You know, I, I think there is a real sense in which Chinatown, Cool Hand Luke, the third man now these you're just are trying to sound cool. <laughs> these are better, yeah. The old boy, how about that? That these are better movies. Better. Like I feel comfortable saying that they're better than the the latest installment of the Twilight series, or if the, <laughs> if they're still doing those, or you know, and 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 I say that based on if you know anything about movies, you will even if you if this movie is not a particular favorite of yours, if you know anything about movies, if you studied it at all, if you've if you've studied the craft, if you've studied filmmaking technique, you will agree that that this is a, a better. Movie. Now, it's not that there are a written down set of criteria like there are in baseball or like geologists have. It's more that the people who have studied it, and you don't even have to study it very hard, you know, in some of these clear-cut cases, just take some real piece-of-shit movie, apparently this latest (laughs) Cameron Crowe Aloha, I haven't seen it, and then just compare it to just an absolutely fantastic movie, Mulholland Drive, whatever. You're just like, you just recognize, even if it's not your particular, it doesn't float your boat, like that that's just a great piece of filmmaking, and it's it's according to a set of standards but definitely a much more amorphous set of standards and a much right. more disagreed upon set of standards than in the two cases that you Right
0: and up. Th- and that's actually where where i think things start getting getting problematic when you have um two experts who you know who who we might say sort of a priori this person is qualified to judge whether a movie is good or bad or let's even say you know whether the movie was well shot you know right. whether and and so you have two cinematographers And one, you know, one thinks that Stanley Kubrick's cinematographer was brilliant. And the other one thinks he was just, you know, just totally cliche, derivative. And so there you're like, well, does that undermine the factual nature of the claim? Is it like, have we are we steeped in now a, a domain in which which there are some things that seem to be objectively true and some things that are objectively not true? And then a whole body of things that we might never know.
1: Yeah, or just that don't have an, an answer. Here's one thing I feel comfortable in saying, that let's say that there is a degree of objectivity to aesthetic judgments. That doesn't mean that there's going to be a, a fact about every question you could ask in that domain. So we might all agree that His Girl Friday or is a better movie than Ernest Goes to Camp, but... <laughs> That doesn't mean that, you know, if somebody wants to say that The Third Man is a better movie than The Godfather or that there's an answer to that question or that there's a, an answer to the question, is The Third Man even a great film, a top 20 film, a top 50 film? You know, like that – That uh, right. and and certainly not. I don't think anybody thinks that there's – some sort of rank ordering of of movies or paintings or novels you know that is authoritative in any way and it's not an epistemological problem it's not that right. well there is that it's just that we it's, don't have we access, access to it right. it's 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 a pro- it, it's just there's no fact of the matter about that but just that there's no fact of the matter about that doesn't mean there's no fact of the matter about anything
0: right I think that's a common mistake that if, if there is no right, if there is no answer like, well, three strikes you're out is pretty clear. Yeah. Um, um, but but there are plenty of cases in which we agree that what we want is uh, sort of the the say judges in Olympic gymnastics. They have a set of very, very clear, necessary criteria for somebody to have done um, a, a a move worthy of getting some score. And then, you know, I, I think we enjoy actually that the debate that there's
1: an amorphous part then to add yeah. on top of it. You know, That's right. The like, way, or basketball, I mean, right? There's a, you know, there's certain clear fouls and there's certain clearly things that are objectively not fouls. Right. And then there's this gray area. Is that a foul? Well, it depends on the game. It depends on how they're calling it earlier. It oh. depends on, you know, actually, we got to have – I was just talking to Tom Gilovich
0: today, social psychologist, a colleague of mine here, and he did this – have I, have we talked about this? It's a great paper where he shows that if you look at free throw shots yeah. in the NBA, um, if you divide up the shots into people who clearly weren't fouled but nonetheless got a foul called in their favor, and so they did this by a variety of ways. They coded it. They listened yeah. to the announcers. They looked at the replays and it, there's somewhere it's just clear that nobody got touched and so now you've just been awarded a bad free like a bad yeah. foul and you you know you know that it's bullshit that you are getting a free throw the percentage of the free throw shots that go in Dips down by twenty percent. Wow! So, so you're yeah, exactly. like
1: intuitively trying to be fair a, about it.
0: Totally, it's
1: like you're you're
0: just a karma. So it goes like the the league average, say, is seventy percent. It goes down to fifty percent. It goes back up for the second shot, but it's that first right. shot. It's a great right. finding. It's a great. That is a great um, finding. <laughs> uh, yeah, I always think of like dog kennel clubs. Like there are some clear, clear criteria about right. what makes for like a good schnauzer. But then yeah. like when, once you meet all of those criteria, you have a whole bunch of dogs that you might think, oh, I kind of like that one better. Um, yeah. and,
1: right, it's so. a matter of taste. So, right. right. so anytime, So, the fact that a certain thing, a certain question might ultimately be subjective. And I actually feel comfortable saying that aesthetics is ultimately subjective in one sense, that it really does depend on our – Perceptual, cognitive uh, capacities, and it also depends on certain tastes that human beings have. And right. and I and I'm hundred percent sure there's some cultural relativity here as well. You can say all that and still think that there is a fact of the matter about certain clear cases. And I actually think that whatever you say about aesthetics. I, I'm doing uh, this another edition of The Very Bad Wizard book, and this was definitely something that John Haidt said in the interview that I did with him a while back, and that Simon Blackburn said in the one of the interviews that's coming out in the new edition, that the, 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 you can pretty much say the same thing substantively about both domains. The difference, if there's a difference, is not in how clear it is or how objective it is it's how much people care about disagreement so this was something i thought that was interesting that blackburn said is the reason where uh, in 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 ethics, we're more concerned, and, and philosophers are very concerned about whether ethics is objective, is because disagreement troubles us more. It's it's more of a coordination problem. It's it's worse for us when there's moral disagreement than when there's aesthetic disagreement. But if you put us in a situation where aesthetic disagreement is is really bad for us, practically speaking, then we're going to get all huffy about that as well. Right. Right. Um, No, I
0: think that's a good point. And I think but see, I I think that when your average student hears the analogy between aesthetic judgment and moral judgments, the way they read it is it's all subjective then, because I think that some of the teaching has to be done on this first part that we were saying that like that in many cases, aesthetic judgments, there are there, there is expertise, there's clear criteria and there's widespread agreement about what constitutes good art and bad art. That, that amorphous part, which can be, you know, like, well, look, this was this, you know, this fucking painting, oil painting of a ship is like stupendously done. I just it makes me feel nothing because I don't give a fuck about ships right. like that. That, you know, that is part of aesthetics.
1: And it's not. And so so I think people focus. But, on but I that think that that you could say the same thing about certain moral questions like, yeah, no, I get it. The environment, that's bad. You know, but I don't feel anything. <laughs> it, you know, <laughs> you know, but, like but yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. I mean, so so maybe what they're saying is, but built into to ethics is this this normative. Like, it's, so it might take us off that people disagree with us about. So it might it might just be annoying that you think that you know that I think the third man was a horrible movie, uh, um, but if I think that like you shouldn't get an abortion and you do. Then it's like, we have a real problem.
1: Yeah. This is. So I think the natural thing when you when you care about the disagreement is to start speaking in more objective terms. You know, if like one of Eliza's friends comes over and tells me that some shitty disney show is just as good as the simpsons or arrested development i'll be like yeah you know i guess it's just a matter of taste whatever you know but if eliza my daughter says that which she thankfully doesn't but if she does i we have a problem and i'm gonna feel as strongly about that or more strongly than if she comes home and says you know i don't think i don't think we should recycle (laughs) i think fuck the earth Future generations, of the earth. <laughs> You're, are, are appreciating arrested <laughs> development. You're appreciating the
0: objective <laughs> worth of that. Um. So, so I think that like people move from though, like they they think that if it's not purely objective, that is, like we can't categorize every single thing as right or wrong or as beautiful or not beautiful. Then that means it's all subjective. And I think that people here, you know, here's another distinction to be made. I think that people think that relativism is a subjective theory of morality. When it's not, there is a clear truth condition for a moral claim in relativity. You know, what that is it might vary, but it's usually something like that, that in this culture, it's widely perceived as wrong. Right. And so it is a matter, it's, again, it's not a realist view, but you can say that it is a matter of fact that it, female genital mutilation is wrong in the United States. And it is a matter of fact that, you call it female circumcision in Africa, is not wrong. That's what a true relativist is. It's
1: not, you know, it's not. And I just don't know how many of those there are. You know, like those people who are who are committed to some sort of real fact in a normative rather than just descriptive sense. You know, (laughs) I think there are a lot of people who are like that in a descriptive sense. And in that sense, you know, it's true that this is an accepted practice in this culture and a not accepted practice. Uh, practice in in that culture. And then there are certain things, but here's the thing, right? I mean, so take honor killings, you know, something like that, where I think there are definitely communities that find honor killings to be not just permissible, but obligatory in, uh, under certain circumstances. And I think, you know, that this is, that that's one of the things that we're not comfortable saying is well that's true for them but it's not true it's just not true for us in a normative sense you know we could right. say it well i mean it's clearly true for them in the descriptive sense but but but, but this is one of those things that just bothers us more whereas if the, you know they could have whatever tv right. tastes that they want to have and 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 we're happy to say look ultimately it, it it's a matter of taste but then i think you know, all that does is make us try to figure out where what mistake that they're making. And I think the easiest way to try to figure that out is, well, are they making an empirical mistake of some sort? You right. know, like, do they think that, you know, there's some sort of religious injunction? Right. Uh, and then you could uh wonder then, A, whether there really is that religious injunction, and then B... If there is what the grounds for believing in that particular religion right. is or whatever. Right. Now so with it, honor killings, it's weird because there's not a religious injunction. In fact, there's a religious prohibition against them, um, and so it's actually pretty complicated to try to show where they're where factually, empirically, they're they're going wrong. So they it's not they don't have like a just a
0: uh, religious belief that they that they just hide from the, or they don't have like a secret religious belief. No,
1: because, you know, they have these religious clerics saying it's, it's prohibited that it's wrong. So you'll have things, this comes from Appia's book and I just interviewed Appia. We talked about this, but the promise I'm not name dropping. (laughs) You used to give me so much shit for that, Uh, that, um, that they will say, look, uh, I get that, the religion bans it. He, he says some people will try to twist the Koran into a defense of this, but it's really – it's not you – know, you can twist the Koran into a defense of a lot of things, but this one is very hard to right. you know, have the Koran sanction. Normally, they'll just say, look, the Koran is the Quran, but this is about honor. Right, right. Is what you were saying earlier that you don't think people actually are objectivists
0: about morals, or were you saying people aren't relativists? Of, of I, I short... don't think
1: that, that there are people who are relativists okay, yeah, yeah, in yeah. that sense. Yeah. I think I, that, that – in terms of whether there are people I, – I think a lot of philosophers assume that people are naively objective about ethics – Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not as convinced about that when you really break it down. If right. you pose it to them in the abstract, I think that they're, they'll be naive objectivists. But if you pin them down, similarly, I think the college students who are notoriously relativist or subjectivist in their morality, are, it's very easy to... Yeah. why I always bring out, you know, yeah. like Hitler and stuff. W-
0: Which side? <laughs> On moral uh, obligation, (laughs) Um, so I actually think that that it's true. You can get people to to report pretty. I mean, there's a general problem that I don't think people have very sophisticated views about anything close to ethics or metaethics, normative ethics. Even they're they're probably not. They probably had just very ad hoc views, and you probably there's some way of measuring. You know, there's there's some psychological research that argues that people have this sort of very quick system that makes you believe things. And it's a slower, more deliberate one that makes you disbelieve things. And I think that something might be true like this about, about taste and aesthetics. And I actually don't know if there's any, like, I wonder if little kids who like the taste of whatever Kool-Aid, if they think that it is objective, that it is just objectively true that it tastes good and their friend thinks that whatever high C tastes better, um, that they're just wrong. That it is a matter of fact. And I'm I'm trying to think if I've ever had instances like that where like how sophisticated do they understand that we might have different tastes?
1: And that- I mean, so I, I think it depends. It depends on the thing. Like, look, you can get into an argument over anything as a kid or as an adult as as we proved, but you know, like they might get into a high sea. Kool Aid is better, and they might be speaking in that language—the very propositional. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. no, the, you know, high C is disgusting. Kool Aid is brilliant and just so delicious. But they're just and fronting. complex. <laughs> but but yeah, I mean, fronting. Well, it's not. It's 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 a way of expressing a really strong opinion about right. it. But at the same, I think when adults talk about, say, you know, wine or beer, often it's not like that. It's what you're saying when you say that this beer is better than, you know, Natty Light. What you're saying is you just haven't tried enough beers and you haven't developed a sophisticated enough talent, talent, palate. Once you have, you will agree with me. See, I think that's sometimes what you're saying when you're saying that Saint Arnold's better than, than Natty Light. Like that that what you're saying is once you've developed a sophisticated enough palate, you will agree with me that this beer tastes better. And sometimes you're just talking shit. Do you think then that it's the same like it could be that it's sort of just the same
0: shit's going on with aesthetic. Like but do people ever say like of a moral claim I mean, philosophers say this. Like, philosophers say this about their moral intuitions. Like, you know, don't... Look, experimental philosophers shouldn't measure just anybody's moral intuitions. Like, I have the intuitions that have been refined. Like, basically, I have a I have a normative ethical palette. I'm a I've moral expert. Over the years, right? Yeah. And so my intuitions are actually going to be refined. And so, so uh, you know, um, so I am a better arbiter of what
1: is right and what is wrong. So I think there's a couple, like uh you know overall i f- i find those kinds of claims just just you know like you, you can call yourself an expert on anything if you want but what's you know uh i think the most charitable reading of people who who claim to some sort of moral expertise is and and this is often not the case but they've studied the relevant empirical facts about this topic um, and this is definitely not the purview just of philosophers at all. In fact, it's often, I think, philosophers don't do enough of that. And the, you know, to the extent that there's some so, something about a philosopher or normative ethicist that might claim expertise, it's, I'm, I, I'm, I'm better at keeping my values and my sets of normative beliefs consistent yeah. than you are. You know, and again, they might not be, but but there might be something to that claim where where I think that it's just complete bullshit is when they claim expertise about a particular judgment or a particular intuition, you know, that they right. somehow see the truth. They intuit right. the truth uh, like they're better.
0: chess players who yeah. have, I've seen four moves in advance. <laughs> and like, yeah. I get right. this gut feeling that you shouldn't move your pawn. Yeah. Um, So, so, you know, here actually, this gets me to a point that I think might, might be what is so appealing about, um, various forms of consequentialism, especially utilitarianism. Because what you've done with a normative ethical theory of util, of utilitarianism is you grant, like, you have to, you have to grant, well, this is what we couldn't get Sam Harris to grant, that there is some sort of value judgment, non-empirical value judgment being made to begin with. Right. Um, but what utilitarian offers utilitarianism offers is the hope that you can have a, an objective me- like if we can measure happiness right and we can all right like this is just like a you know this brains are brains are made out of atoms and psychology should be subject to to good measurement if we could get happy and there's a science of happiness if we can do that we can figure out what is right and wrong and there right. can be no argument about it, right? Like, if I show that this policy improved happiness overall, then utilitarianism provides the sort of way out of the embarrassing thing that you have to do when you talk to non-philosophers, and that is defend a claim that's about a value yeah. when they want evidence or, you know, some something objective.
1: But as you say, the Achilles heel of that is that there is that initial value judgment that you can't provide empirical evidence. Oh, yeah, for. that's why you
0: just ignore. You uh, ignore that one. You um, but
1: yeah, no. I think that is the appeal. The appeal is you now have something. Now, is it a kind of uh, an illusory, an illusory path to objectivity? Because. Just how you measure happiness and what you count as happiness, and all of that is just going to be a like a huge mess well but, yeah. but I guess the idea is at least you can at, at least there's something to work with there there's you know? something to work with there's
0: the promise, yeah. but I think you're right. I think there's a deep problem there because like yeah there's a science of happiness and the science of happiness is interesting and valuable. And you can say like, oh, look, when we ask people overall, how, how happy are you or how good do you think your life is? We get a number, but we also, there's also plenty of research showing that like that number can change, you know, for instance, if it's a rainy day and you're like, wait, so now, now which number do I take into account? Like, is it your overall yearly number? Should I measure your happiness levels as many have like throughout the day? Um what if you say you're happy but you actually look like droopy and and uh you actually walk around depressed but you say you're happy. You know
1: what's the best measure of happiness is it right so and what's the, like are we talking long term should yeah. we how much like you know is a deep form of happiness for 1 hour worth 8 hours of right you know suffering <coughs> like just cuz those other people don't even get to experience that deep form of happiness cuz they didn't you know take ecstasy <laughs> right, and then there's you know there's this work on hedonic adaptation,
0: which is that like you know showing that that hey you measure if you measure say somebody who's lost the limb or is now you know paraplegic, you measure their happiness right afterwards, it goes down, but like you know, after a year, and I'm getting the numbers wrong, and i I know this study's controversial, but but there are plenty of other findings along these lines, after a year, their happiness levels go right back up. What you don't want to conclude as utilitarian is that, therefore, it's okay to go around paralyzing people because right. their happiness levels go up. You I don't, you want some other criteria. So so there is this p- problem just in psychology of what is objective, but right, how do we measure objectively psychological states? But
1: that's then compounded by the you – know. I, I do think this is one of those things where it's – again, there are clear cases though. At the same time, it, we can identify this person has a happier life than that person. Right. You know, um, and I, and, it, and it just seems right. And it's not it's, it's just not a controversial claim. And, you know, this is just like with aesthetics or, 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 or other value judgments, like the fact that we can't make fine-grained distinctions often doesn't mean we can't make any distinctions.
0: Right, but, but I think that if you do hinge it on happiness,
1: you are left with some paradoxes as a
0: utilitarian, where if you say some of the happiest nations in the world are also sort of underdeveloped and poor, and so you know, I go to Chile and I find people to be there just a lot
1: happier than Americans. Than the people at Applebee's?
0: <laughs> than somebody who has a McMansion and every physical need met. Right. So, should I just
1: aim at Fight Club? Just blow it all up. Start fresh.
0: That's the that movie made
1: me actually like IKEA. That's why. <laughs> I didn't quite know what it was. I was like, I like that apartment. <laughs> so Well, I don't know if that's a paradox. You know, that that might be that's information that's worth having about you know, it's a trite cliche, but, but the money can't buy happiness. There's a lot of truth to that. You know, that doesn't mean we should necessarily (laughs) blow up buildings and and blow part of our face off, but, but it's, it's worth knowing that, you know, just having that 4,000 square foot house and doesn't mean that you're going to be happy. I think
0: one of the, one of the most solid findings in happiness is that your happiness is Completely contingent on the happiness of those around you, probably in this sense that uh, um, if I make fifty thousand dollars a year and everybody around me is making forty,
1: I'm a happy dude. <laughs> yeah. so let me propose something and tell me if you agree with this that I don't think that there are differences in kind. Um, I think there's a big long objectivity subjectivity spectrum. And on one end of the spectrum, on the far end of the subjectivity spectrum, might be, you know, which Willy Wonka candy is the best Willy Wonka candy. (laughs) Nerds, gobstoppers. And I'm sure listeners have strong opinions about that. But but there's not, you know, ultimately, (laughs) that's a matter of taste. You probably shouldn't be right, eating like, any no, of those no, things, but. And, and
0: nobody's no, and, and nobody would say that that you're not allowed to prefer your own taste. Like the, it is by definition, you can have strong preferences, right? right.
1: And nobody cares what other what preferences other people have. I mean, the I might care if my daughter goes and gets whole thing of. I don't know Jolly Ranchers. I don't think that's Willy Wonka, but those are disgusting, and you can't uh, you can't open. Oh up. man, those, those those Apple Jolly Ranchers are the best. I, I, so good. I can't even <laughs> get the wrappers open. So I, I I wouldn't know. The wrappers just like stick. They're like part of it. <laughs> Little Wayne it puts
0: do. Jolly Ranchers in his uh, in his soda, and then puts uh, codeine cough syrup in it, and that's what he's always drinking. Who just, like super sugared? Little Wayne
1: <laughs> really. Know. You know, yeah, that he got. He has to be careful. I think that's how Mikey died. <laughs> <laughs> Those were pop rocks. <laughs> pop rocks yeah. And then on the other end of the spectrum, and I think this is the Quinean sort of web, of web of belief. Maybe the other end of the spectrum, or if you're talking in terms of Quine's web of belief, the center of the web is logic you know, logical rules of inference and mathematical rules. If you fuck with those, everything's coming apart in the rest of the web. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, you know, that's about as objective as it gets. And then, and I think this will be, this will vary from person to person. I actually think the web of belief is about as well as you can. It's about as good an image as you can have to try to discuss this question of objectivity. But, um, that that you know, there's going to be this all this middle stuff, and I think you know ethics and aesthetic judgments and taste judgments. I think mostly taste judgments are closer to the to the subjective end and uh, or the, the farther reaches of the web, and then moral judgments or aesthetic judgments. But often it's not domain specific. It's it's literally like what you're actually talking about you know there are a lot of moral questions that yeah, they could go either way you know euthanasia it's just but not so, gonna bug me one way or the other and so and and what will bug me though is if lies eliza, eliza won't admit that you know louie is better than uh, <laughs> jesse <laughs> but but so Part of what I meant, at least by
0: domain-specific, is that the truth conditions for what is objective just will differ. Like whether you're talking about the rules of a sport or whether you're ta- but talking about aesthetics. You know, when you
1: well, that's a separate sort of category. Is is those conventional things where everybody agrees on the convention. But so but but I can at least say
0: that what 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 does it mean for uh, the three strikes are out to be true is that there is a group of people who are charged with coming up with the rules. And so it's subjective in that sense. Um, And I can even say that for an aesthetic judgment, what I mean is that somebody who is sufficiently exposed themselves to wide variety can distinguish, even if I can't outline the rules, that there are some sort of tacit rules that they're using um in order to determine which movies are better and which ones aren't and as you say there might be plenty of fuzzy boundary but what are i mean i take it that the reason that moral claims are so problematic is that we don't have a good set of truth conditions like what what would what does it mean to say that something is I, But i right? mean i think
1: we do just like with aesthetic judgments like is this causing harm is this uh uh exhibiting loyalty is this exhibiting Uh, empathy is this sorry paul Uh, (laughs) you know like i think Uh, in the same way that that, that, that that we have these sort of implicit standards for judging the you know greatness of novels or paintings or symphonies we have these loosely based and culturally you know not agreed upon entirely although partly standards that we apply to specific things what's the difference really
0: I guess so. I mean, I guess maybe you,
1: I'm finding myself
0: awkwardly saying that that seems, sounds like a reasonable view. I, I mean, and that maybe what's the, the problematic part is exactly as you say, that disagreement in the moral domain is really, really problematic because yeah. morality is about social coordination. It's about, you know, and, and the consequences of getting a moral rule wrong are pretty serious. Um, and so, so I, I could...
1: You know, or but, disagreeing, of, even if you don't think there's a right or wrong in some sort of absolute sense, the consequence of disagreeing is more serious.
0: Yeah. So, but, but I want to distinguish between a few of the things that you might be saying. I don't think that what you're saying is the following. That forget the web. Let's just call it a spectrum. I can't think in I can't think in web and in, in WVO. Are you not a Spider-Man
1: uh, I'm fan? Saying, I'm not. <laughs> that, did that escape your nerd childhood
0: somehow? I liked it better when he made his own web with his cartridges and not when... Yeah, when it, yeah, not when it was um, the suit. Yeah, yeah. Or when it wasn't his skin. Yeah. Um, I liked it better when W.B. O'Quine didn't have um, <laughs> Did, mu- mutant powers. When he didn't have the proportionate um, strength of the spider. Yeah. 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 It, I, I like, and when he just walked around with his dogmas. Like, you know. Like, <laughs> <laughs> One thing that I don't think you're saying is that um, the spider... By this spectrum, I simply mean that there is more agreement for some things. So you can imagine at a descriptive level that um, you could pull logicians and logicians agree, you know, the principle, you know, 98% of them agree in the principle of identity and transitivity of numbers or whatever. And then then at the other extreme, you have, you know, like – ice cream flavors where some people really love mint chocolate chip and some people really don't. And and it's almost, you know, you could distribute it like the flavor distribution
1: is. Well, no, because Baskin Robbins chocolate chip is objectively the best ice cream (laughs) flavor in all of existence and not the mint chocolate chip, which is disgusting. And you should be ashamed of yourself if you eat it. I actually like scoops of lebni, that Arabic
0: uh, yogurt that's like, kind of solid. That's what, like, in my tradition in my family just glob. Are, are you? You would call that what you would call a schmear? What do you mean? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> your tradition? Are you? I'm a quarter Lebanese.
1: You're uh, Lebanese? I didn't so, know
0: that. Yeah, yeah. I try. I try to keep it away. For, I know how you. I knew how you would react. <laughs> it's
1: it's probably my your argument. quarter Lebanese and my half Israeli that were fighting um uh, in that first segment
0: yeah my good friend jonathan lavav once told me that he speaks arabic and i said really and he goes yeah it's just sound effects <laughs> yeah it's just explosions he's an asshole
1: oh um, i get it sorry i thought it was making yeah, fun this. of just like you know that, uh, yeah. um, which we all share.
0: so so you don't mean to just be saying like oh hey i can map things descriptively like
1: No, no, no. This isn't the spectrum. Isn't tracking? Although I think, to some extent, you know, there there might be some messy degree of correlation. But what I'm not tracking is levels of agreement, descriptively.
0: So, and I guess that's the question: is what is it that makes something closer to the center of the web?
1: So, I think. Something that's closer or to the center of the web or to the objective end of the spectrum would be I, – I mean, I, here's where I would say agreement under conditions that – I don't want to say idealized conditions – but but yeah, on conditions where we're where <laughs> both I mean and I, we've had this conversation before where both sides also agree about any possibly relevant facts to to the matter in question so and, and are and are informed to a sufficient degree so I mean it's it might be easier before we get to moral values to talk about this in terms of of novels say right so if, and now the disagreement is over whether pride and prejudice is a great novel or not well you know there might be there might be some 15 year old high school kid who thinks it sucks but that's because they don't know enough about life and they don't know enough about the relevant time period maybe the culture they don't know enough about good writing they don't know enough about uh, they, you know, they just haven't read, and maybe they they can't even read sufficiently well to fully understand it. They don't have the attention span, right?
0: Right. But but I guess I guess what I'm getting at is is it seems as if implicit in your claim is that there is agreement, maybe not upon the specific claim, and we can just grant that there will always be sloppiness, save for like the most most rigorous of of, of um, domains. But that there seems that your claim does seem to be that there is agreement on the like the criteria that are required to say that something is true like the truth yeah. conditions i mean and,
1: and and yeah which i think is true in law lo- i mean in, in for the most basic logical inferences there the agreement is just based on our core intuitions right uh, well, and I mean, this is tough. I, I, this is tricky to even try to describe it, but
0: it is because some might say that what they that it is the perception of the objective world. No, no, that, no. But
1: why know. are we so convinced that we're not just crazy? That the theory of identity, uh, or you know, the, <laughs> the, the the rule of identity, or modus ponens, or you know, it's it's not. We're, we're pretty convinced, even as strongly as we feel about it we're also convinced that 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 we're not out of our minds when it comes to this and that's because everybody agrees with us on this or everybody we come into contact with there's nobody that that doesn't share that same feeling of certainty now whether that feeling of certainty or self-evidence is tracking something objective is beside the point in terms of tra- yeah. how we Let, feel say, about and, it epistemically. And, uh, yeah,
0: we, ha- we have to sidestep, I think, the question of uh, realism for this discussion. But we can, I think I agree with you that that things like you know inconsistent mathematical systems are not satisfying in the way that consistent mathematical systems are. Right. Right. So it's actually is actually quite distressing to have you know incompleteness um, for for deep deep reasons. Right. So and, and so then, then your what your what you are um, sort of tracking in this continuum or in this web is the degree to which. Uh, let's call uh, can we call it the degree to which you don't you wouldn't feel as crazy if you disagreed <laughs> <laughs> right
1: I, I mean well that's, i don't know that that's you wouldn't feel at the degree to which you wouldn't feel as crazy if you disagreed
0: right so if you all of a sudden told me that you love chocolate ice cream and i was like vanilla ice I like vanilla ice cream. well i would say i would say i like vanilla you like chocolate well you know tough shit let's go have a burger or something um yeah. And uh, but if like I'm like I I hate abortion and you're like I love abortion I'm, like what the fuck how could you love abortion abortions for everyone <laughs> for everyone right like, <laughs> I mean I don't think that, that that distinction is doing any work to be let, I actually do just... so
1: for example I actually like that uh, <laughs> as you're now distancing yourself from it so you know there's a chair in my in my house and i think that's just a fact of the matter that there's a chair here now if eliza and jen come home and they say there's no chair there what are you talking about and i say no 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 there's <laughs> a chair there And they say no there's not uh, are you daddy are you okay are you having another seizure that then then i'm going to feel crazy but if you know they come home and they say you got to try this flavor of ice cream it's so good or you got to try this candy and they both love it, and I think it's gross. Then I'm not going to feel crazy. So, and 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 that that does seem to track how obje- Like I think it's a fact that there's this chair here. So maybe that is a good way, <laughs>
0: <laughs> right? And, and I mean, I, and I think that what what one of the things that that it's highlighting is that you know our perceptual mechanisms. You know, we we tend to share our perceptual mechanisms with other human beings in a way that, by and large, lets everybody see you know, similar things, right? So, so with, with some exception and with some, actually with a great deal of controversy, most people, you know, if shown an object will sort of roughly agree about what the properties of that object are, because we seem to share. Um, now I of course need to turn to Kant to say that we, who knows what the
1: noumena is. <laughs> right? <laughs> but, well, I mean, but at the very I least, actually think yeah. that this is one part of Kant I don't hate. Like You know, I I think it's important to remember that we are looking through a lens, you know, and some and and there's two different kinds of lenses that we're looking through. One is just the lens that I think that he's talking about of just being a, a human being and having the categories that a human being has. But the other is the lens of our own particular history Life experiences and right. so forth, and that's an important lens to remember that you're keeping in mind, too, And you know that can even affect our perceptual. You know if you grew up, you know that's like the Joe Henrik thing. if you grew up living in a more tribal. Hunter gatherer kind of society, then you're not gonna fall for the Mueller liar illusion, like people who have grown right. up around corners and angles and very sharp forty-five right. degree kinds of things. And which is, yeah. um, no, uh, and, um, and also with logic like, you know, or or mathematics, right? I mean, what's that paradox, the the Monty Hall problem, right? It drives people right. crazy when they can't figure that out you know?
0: Right, and right, right.
1: that's because they think that this is objective and they're not feeling it. They're not getting it. They're not understanding it. And it drives them crazy, you know?
0: Right. So so I, I'm willing to endorse this as a, as a psychological claim that this is how we treat things. And I think that's what's important for this conversation because I, I am tempted to say, well, Logic is tracking something. Science is tracking, you know, objective, external reality. Um, understanding of the rules of sports are tracking knowing the proper authorities that set those rules of sports. And so the the criteria might be more or less objective. Um, I I like to think that the reason that I feel more crazy if you don't agree that one equals one is because one, in fact, does equal one. Um, and not just because everybody around me would think I'm smoking something, but it does. I think for this discussion, it's an interesting discussion. It doesn't doesn't quite matter right now because I think that for for say moral values, I think you're right. I think that to the extent that they are, and maybe it's just a pragmatic claim, to the extent that they are uh, very central to the the, the sort lab. of cooperate cooperative aspects of your yeah. of your culture. Um, people are going to treat them seriously. And one way to treat them seriously is to think that they really are tracking right and wrong. Right. It's almost a signal. It's almost a signaling account where you say like, well, here's how the, <clears throat> the reason I think that cheating is wrong is because cheating is fucking wrong.
1: Yeah. Right? And that's and that, the Blackburn view is when you say that it's just wrong. And I don't care where you are in the world; it's wrong. You know, if you feel that way about female circumcision or whatever, he 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 has no problem with saying that. It's just, but what it's doing is expressing your commitment to 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 whatever values and moral reasons would ground that view. So even as you're talking about it as. And and there's a big part of it that's completely independent of you. Say, say the reason you're against female circumcision, say, is because of it's not because of you. It's because of the pain that that a woman might experience, or the reason that I'm, you know, I'm against factory farming is because of the pain and suffering of the animal. But in 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 claiming that it's wrong that's still a reflection or an expression of my deep conviction that we shouldn't be or and that nobody should be inflicting this kind of suffering on other so, human beings right. or, on, on, or on other animals. So, so here's one
0: claim. One claim is that this is why, and I think we'll talk about this in a future episode, if not the next episode, um, Schwader's claim that, you, when you look at other cultures, you don't see strong, at least some other cultures, you don't see strong distinctions between uh, moral claims and conventional claims. Because Conventional
1: claims uh, meaning?
0: Meaning that they are, one, one way in which researchers describe a conventional claim is that it is sort of authority dependent. That is, if everybody got together and agreed that there would be four strikes instead of three, then... It would be true that there are four strikes allowed instead of three, but if everybody got together and said, "Hey, we're gonna um, just allow like murdering of innocent people in the street just on Wednesday," um, people people would say, "No, it's still wrong. It doesn't matter if everybody agrees right. on it." So, so the moral claim would be the universal one, a universal, uh, presumably universal one. They say that that you see this uh, distinction early on. Schweder presents these data. Trader and Joan Miller and the other author whose name I can't pronounce, uh, Mahapatra, I believe, they show that at least in these towns in India, that there's no good evidence that there is a conventional moral distinction. And it's not because people aren't acting as if violations are wrong and universally wrong. It's because they're, act- they're acting as if all of the violations, even those that we might consider matters of mere convention,
1: like Like dietary restrictions or dietary
0: restrictions you know what what you're allowed to wear on certain occasions who's allowed to be in the room um when you're eating who all, all of you know when you're allowed to cut your hair what kind of meat you're allowed to eat yeah all of those things are actually moralized because they are important and central to the culture even though they don't have anything to do with at least Schwader claims with direct harm or violations of fairness in the way that Westerners tend to tend to think. Um, It's even a more extreme view than the five foundations view, right? I I, I think that it is, it is, there aren't five or six or whatever buckets of, of moral ish stuff. Anything, anything could be so long as it was central enough to the, to the particular culture, to the practice, to
1: the practices of that particular culture. So, you know, it's funny, and, and we definitely should discuss the Schwader paper because there's, there's a lot of rich material there. It's in some ways the opposite of what Joe Henrik, another anthropologist, told me. And yeah. the Henrik claim was almost everything is conventional in these cultures. So they don't have this – well, I guess it's a little different – they don't have this need to justify their even moral claims right. in the way that we feel like we need to come up with, and you know what you like and the Kantians, the you know all these moral justifying reasons for a particular practice. Mm-hmm. So I guess those are two different claims. <clears throat> yeah.
0: yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, it might be that it, it might be a real distinction, and and the language matters less, but the distinction matters more. One might be whether or not you are bound by it as co- con- what we might call conventional uh, norms, whether you're bound to um, behave in accordance with them just as much as you are bound to behave with the moral norms. Another question is whether you universalize those right. to to everyone. And I think there are probably plenty of cultures, Judaism included, where, uh, where there are things that Jews do, that or they ought not do that it really doesn't matter if if right. non-Jews don't do it, right? Do. But they are moral, right, what the goyim do. But this yeah. is this is why you hire, a, uh, you know, you, you, you in particular, hire a goy to turn
1: off your lights. Yeah, I see him, actually. He's <laughs> yeah. dirty yeah. and yeah. So he yeah, looks hi. clearly unfed. Yeah, <laughs> so, <laughs> I have a, like, my dogs are, so I've trained them to be Shabbos guys. <laughs> <laughs> um, but this always actually puzzled me.
0: Where I was like, how How do you think it's morally wrong, but don't care if other people do it?
1: You know, actually, the Jew the Jew case is interesting because you're absolutely right that they, you know, the goyim do what they're going to do, but the Jew Jewish people think this is how, you know, this is how we do it, and you know, especially as someone who does not really observe any of. Those rules, or very few of them anyway. I've started to fast on Yom Kippur the last couple of years. But, but that, that was just But by that action, bothers my, <laughs> my family that when I don't do these things, you know, my Orthodox Jewish relatives, and it doesn't bother them at all that, that somebody else doesn't do them. Right. And, t- like, and it d- they don't even want those people to do it, you know, like it, ha- right. it, it means nothing to them. And it's not because right. they don't think it's, yeah, this is why I think this whole idea that, Morality is is supposed, you know, and this starts with, I guess, with Kohlberg, that, you know, once you've reached this high level of morality, then that means it's universalizable. I think that's wrong. And I think that's actually, that that might even be the exception rather than the rule. I think maybe a lot of people might not, you know, this whole idea of universal human rights and universal values. That's a pr- very recent development, you know, in historical. And, I mean,
0: I mean. So here's where I really have to say, I I agree that as a des- as a descriptive claim, it is probably the, a rare, sort of a, a rare feature of of Western moral- in of world in the Schrader article that we're we'll talking about. Mm-hmm. Right. Um. When you look at the Schrader article, uh, one of the one of the things that he critiques is that that if kohlberg's was really a stage theory then stage six where you have this universal morality just doesn't exist for most for most places right that is it is educated liberal westerners and israelis who are 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 the only ones who ever respond with these sort of universal principles of justice Uh, yeah Um, like like contents right right right. so you can say you know as a normative theorist like uh, obviously you could say well they're just people who don't believe in universalizable moral principles and 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 rights are just wrong. Um but that is different again the descriptive one and I think that the question of whether or not people actually take take this to be a feature of morality is an interesting one. And I don't think that we have a good answer, right? I mean, well, I think we do.
1: I think most people don't. Yeah, no, I'm 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 simply saying I don't example think we have is enough a great good... example my 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 family thinks that that you know, what I have done when I married a non-Jew that that was immoral, but they don't expect, obviously, non-Jew, <laughs> right. you know. And I guess right. the, well, the, the universalizable rule, I guess, could be if you happen to be Jewish, you should marry – but, you know – Or or it, or it could be that you should only marry within your your group or something. Your like, group, but I don't, don't think they believe do that. I don't think they think no, no. a Christian I mean, shouldn't marry a Hindu.
0: I mean, I'm inclined to say that it, that this is right, but what I'm saying is that 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 even though we have that salient exception i I think that there is actually a real lack of good data surprisingly a lack of good good cross cultural data about this question because I think that we haven't and this is why I like the Schweder article they went and they actually sort- sort of uh, from an anthropological tradition kind of methodological one that you know they went there for like what a year like actually talk to people like had translations and back translations and informants and actually try to get at some of these questions. I think that a lot of the ways in which we would ask the question, um, would, it would almost, we would just, you know, we'd do something like look for those things that we think people are holding to be as universal. And then, you know, and and ask them questions like that do you think it's okay to kill you know what if you were in an alien world like uh would it be okay to kill an innocent person that's just stupid i i know and that's why i think we don't have good data i think that that the that we have no good idea as to like how much members of other cultures which rules first of all do they think that well i think it's wrong to rape but do i think that if these two people in you know yugoslavia rape each other is that wrong i'm sure there's some work on this but but i'm really actually bummed at the lack of good cross cultural data on some of these more fundamental questions
1: you know we should have tage on the show we talked about his paper with alan fisk this is definitely something that he would have an opinion on and he would have some some data on and or certainly, no. J- yeah. <laughs> what? Yeah. And then for he him, the answer would definitely be no. Like, look, if, 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 if it's regulating a relationship within the relevant community, within the relevant f- framework of people that you care about, then it's moral. And it doesn't have to have any kind of universalizable uh feature in order to be moral is how at least i i understand his view of what it what it means for something to count as moral
0: yeah but you know but then but then you do get a sort of watered down you know definition
1: of what moral is i mean this actually throws an interesting wrinkle on the whole objective subjective thing because what i was saying before was we tend to at least talk objectively, speak in objective terms. The more we care about the, you know, uh, securing agreement, but what that doesn't clarify is securing agreement among whom, you know. Right. And right, right, right. and 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 I guess uh, you know uh, there are certain, say, aesthetic judgments. Well, overall, you know, I probably take a more you know closer to the objective side of the spectrum for what I would consider to be moral judgments than aesthetic judgments, but you know it's it's not it it all it depends who I'm dealing with so when eliza if 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 she has an aesthetic judgment about you know a Twilight novel being better than Jane Eyre, I'm gonna be. I'm going to explain to her that she's wrong about that. And I'm going to talk in those kinds of terms and I'm going to explain. But what if, it's, what if it's one of her friends who expresses this view? And then, um, then, then I'm, again, right there I'll be like, well, you know.
0: Different strokes for different boats.
1: Different. different. <laughs> I'll try not to make it creepy, but yeah.
0: It doesn't seem as if, I mean, because an interesting claim would be if you actually sort of, sh- you become subjectivist when other people are around like you say well it's you know i i can see how that person might think twilight is a better book um because <laughs> well, right
1: well i mean i bet you would do that more than me right cuz i've been accused by my family and of being strident about my views and especially about things like great movies or great uh, works of art or novels i've been accused of being strident i think it's horribly unfair but i also <laughs> recognize that this is the kind of scapegoating that my people have experienced for a long time <laughs> <laughs> to
0: quote to quote the sopranos oh poor you but there is something about uh, you know about just agreement about what the standards are that are being that are being used and so so you might say that in sports the person who is not a fan of any team, you know, so you might be better able to evaluate the difference between Golden State and Cleveland objectively uh, that, you know, since Boston's not in it and you would actually be using the criteria that you probably would want others to use. You just have sort of a blind spot. Um, but, you, you know, you are saying something that's interesting about <clears throat> for some of these domains, it might be that there are criteria that we use that we just simply shift. Um, depending on what the function of our discussion is or who we're trying to convince and so you can have two movie critics who might just go you know you blow to by blow like not blow like they just might go to blows is that the right <laughs> no right?
1: none of us are saying expressions in the correct way.
0: <laughs> because go to blows doesn't they, sound right this doesn't sound right i was raised by spanish speakers i don't know what your excuses um
1: no i can't think so, of the right way to say it, it oh no it might come to blow come to blows come to, jesus christ that sounds very dirty
0: that's even worse <laughs> because because they realize that they are uh, they they probably are aware of the right criteria and they might be disagreeing on facts but they but they realize that like when two just regular old people are arguing about movies that they, they don't give a fuck that in fact that in fact their claims about who's better um they might even say like well for them you know like like uh bad boys two is the greatest movie of the 90s like they might and they just might like whatever like that's that might be true for them but yeah. but if they're arguing with somebody who should fucking know fucking better as they yeah. say um <laughs> yeah. Then, then they're using a different set of criteria, right? Like, like a, a a set of criteria that are very objective and that you're expected to know, um, and and so we might shift around depending on whatever
1: function these judgments are serving. That's so right. It might That's vary. exactly right. Yeah. So I think you like. I think the like a very useful way to think about this that philosophers don't do as enough of, and maybe even psychologists just excuse me, looking at some of the studies is pragmatically. What's the, right. what are you trying to do in when you're having this dispute? Like what's the, what's the goal? What's the function? And I think that's going to inform a lot of the sort of, you know, the metaethics, the, the, the language of the disagreement, the language of how we frame the question um, is going to be informed by the function and we right. we we shouldn't forget that cuz i think that's sort of a key place to look when you're right. trying to figure out all this stuff including stuff about how objective we think the thing is and it would you're, really you're right. fuck things up if people disagreed about logical inferences you know it would and 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 it really fucks things up when people disagree about scientific claims right yeah. i mean you know that 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 yeah, the, this climate change thing, as much as I don't give a shit about it, probably has huge implications that we can't <laughs> secure agreement about global warming.
0: Yeah, pro- prob- probably. And, uh, you know, and again, I do I do want to separate. I think this is a, an interesting point. I do want to separate it. And I want to say that there is this additional question as to why there might be more widespread agreement about logic and I, you know, just to stake my claim in the ground that it's because it's tracking something <clears throat> external to human minds. But it, but it doesn't really matter for this. Like you might you might it might very well be that that there are um, domains in which we jump up and down about the objectivity of a criteria. And we might even be realists about certain claims solely because they're so important to us. And I think your average person, your average person can easily become an objective realist and even start using words like metaethics like when when they're discussing some something that was done to them unfairly <clears throat> right? Yeah. Right. Like, that's, right. right that's that's right, when right. you're going to see people at at their most like most objectivist, you know. yeah. yeah this probably you know it's like <laughs> when stanford encyclopedia of ethics google searches are probably like most <laughs> done
1: by like no, yes. And I understand that you want to maintain your kind of Platonist commitments, yeah, that there my, are forms yeah. of, you know, logical truths and forms of the good. And, and maybe that should well, be my new thing, that you're not a Kantian, because that's getting old. You're a Platonist, because you are that, too. You're like this crazy plate- Platonist. Yeah. And uh, just don't make sex jokes about it. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Symposium, at least with Kant, kind of your no, no, nobody, at least nobody, Favorite. nobody can accuse Kant of being like... <laughs> pedophile. Li, li, licentious pedophile. <laughs> um, no, it wasn't wrong back then, Tamler. It wasn't wrong.
1: It wasn't. No, he figured out how, but you know, here's where... He came, I, he came to blows all the time. <laughs> he was against masturbating, which I would think you would be, I, th- I would think you would jump ship. Plato was? No, 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 no. Oh, uh, oh Kant. Kant. Yeah, 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 Kant. No, no. I mean, I,
0: look, everybody, everybody lies about something. <laughs> One of my dear friends who became a pastor who was trying to argue with me that masturbation was immoral. I said, well, you can believe that. Here are your two options. You can feel guilty for the rest of your life <laughs> or you can just convince yourself that it's not wrong. Because I don't think you're going to stop jerking off. <laughs>
1: that's that's where you need reflective equilibrium at that point. <laughs> <laughs> it's a That's a new kind of lube. Yeah, it's a new kind of lube. <laughs> <laughs> reflective equilibrium. You want me to get out that? Here, I, I got the red light bulb and uh, reflective equilibrium lube, baby. I'm going to make a
0: fake little soundtrack commercial <laughs> with some soul music.
1: All right. Um, on that note, should we wrap this up?
0: I think so. Next so time.
1: yeah. Well, thank you. Um, I think we're gonna try to do the AI episode maybe next time. We'll see yeah. if we can get my colleague Josh Weisberg. Have you seen Ex Machina yet? For God's sakes, you fuck! Um,
0: holding. Um, I'm waiting to see it in the theater.
1: <laughs> what do you mean you're waiting to see? It? It's out in the theater, and and <laughs> and, you're gonna, and it's about to. It's probably gonna be going see this is uh this is a problem i'm not gonna get all i'm not gonna get strident about this thank all thank you all of you and uh, uh one thing we forgot to mention somebody sent us like a very bad wizard bingo they had, that was they, awesome that i was kept <laughs> wanting to say that very cool no. uh you, yeah let's do get we have do you have
0: his name pulled up jay, jay loner
1: jay loner yeah Jay or
0: guys, I'd like to su- respectfully submit a riff on the VBW drinking game, suitable for senior centers everywhere. <laughs> Love the <laughs> podcast. Keep up the good work. It is awesome. Uh, with his permission, we'll post. Uh, he even made different sheets, which, um,
1: which... Yeah, with 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 things like uh, intuition, porn, one of my dogs barking, Louis C.K., get here problem. Like, this is one card drugs this is Tamler calls Dave yeah. an anti semite Tarantino I mean this is like a lot of them have already come up Yoel yeah. bar Frankfurt cases yeah, yeah, yeah. Peter singer you're
0: reading them all there are all the cards
1: are is the same categories but no no they're not all cars. the same like they, they, there's just a lot of overlap like in bingo uh, okay I think a listener from last time who who said that I well, just both of us, actually, this wasn't just me, the, that uh, we weren't exposing our daughters to en- enough female comedians. And I went on a mildly defensive in the last yeah. episode trying to sing. uh But I still took it to heart and watched The Heat with my daughter the other night, you know, with uh, Melissa McCarthy and Sandra Bullock. Oh, yeah, yeah. Is it any good? It's very
0: funny. <laughs> yeah, I liked it. This is one of the movies where the cover just annoyed me. I judge movies by
1: the cover. <laughs> what, what do you mean by the cover? Like the VCR cover? <laughs> <laughs> Betamax sleeve. Uh, if, I did not think you got defensive. I thought you got, actually, no, I, I didn't. you admitted. Uh, but I felt like I. I just started, like, name drop a lot of female because i really do like female comics and i but i I feel really bad that that came across but anyway i still i I did think about it and i was like god we haven't watched because we just started watching those hot fuzz you know hot fuzz Shaun of the dead uh the
0: great the the trilogy yeah
1: uh, simon Pegg and uh yeah those are edgar wright and uh nick what's his name But, you know, they're great, but they're very male focused, you know? (laughs) So so then I was like, all right, you know what? We're watching one of those women ones. And uh, (laughs) Melissa McCarthy is coming out with a new movie, which everybody loves, Spy. So let's watch The Heat, and then we can go out in the theaters and watch Spy. Uh, All that's off my chest, and join us next time on Very Bad Wit. You're a very bad man. I'm a very good man. Just a very bad wizard.